0: I'm so glad to share this. We're starting a new series this morning in Joshua. It's called The People of Promise. Joshua might be a book that's familiar to many of you, but it is this idea that as the people entering into the land that God's promised them, that the only way that they can actually step into this gift that God has is through being shaped by the promises God said before them, is saying over them right now that they can be formed and shaped by his word and truth. So that's, that's who we are. I love the song that we sang together by faith, which is that we can stand as children of the promise. That captures exactly what this journey is about this morning. So I would like to pray for us, and then I want to just start off just reflecting on this passage, the first nine verses of Joshua. So, Lord, I ask the Lord you would speak, that these, this would be a time where you speak to us and lead us, beyond anything that just comes out of my mouth, but that your Spirit actually enters into our hearts and allows us to reflect on this first section of Joshua. And I ask that, Lord, uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. I want to start off by just making two statements. Two statements that capture what I really feel like these, verse, these first nine verses in Joshua are all about. Our entire future depends on the past promises of God. Our entire future depends on the past promises of God, and God never calls you into anything apart from Him. God never calls you to anything apart from Him. Our future depends on God's promises, and God God never calls any of us into, into some kind of reality or journey apart from Him. We can feel the strain a lot of the already and the not yet, especially in times of transition. And I, as we'll talk about where the people are in Joshua, they're in a time of transition, just like we are. Sometimes people reflect on the book of Joshua as a bridge book, a, a passing away from Moses into Joshua, a different chapter for Israel, and a different chapter for the Israel on the other side of it, on the other side of the wilderness. But just like we're in that transition You know, they have the promised land in front of them and the promised people. We have the promises of God for us as his promised people. And these promises that we're going to reflect on this summer are promises that lead us. They guide us. And a lot of times, to be honest, we don't really know all the things that God's promised to us. You can find lots of different numbers for this. But there are thousands and thousands of promises in Scripture that God has said he will do. And we often don't know them all. Now, the benefit of reading God's Word is that we actually know what He said for us, so we can, we can react to life and make decisions in life based on that exact reality, what God's already said. Confidence in His promises gives us a different option, a different option to how sometimes we end up making decisions, which is fear. Making decisions based off fear, and which is why I want to share uh, one image with you this morning. So as a parent of young children, I know Frozen very well. I am all about Frozen. I know the lyrics, Frozen 1, Frozen 2. I can jam out in the car or just in life in general. And I, I'm very familiar. But what, one of the things, no, nothing is perfect about any movies, right? But one of the things that I find very interesting about these movies, and specifically I think the first person with Elsa, first movie with Elsa, is how they describe and talk about Fear. We watch these movies and just what what is actually being said about fear I think is really interesting. Elsa is someone who has these powers to freeze anything with her fingertips. And because of her fear of hurting people, hurting her sister, hurting others, and all the consequences that would happen about that, she hides and she conceals. And as the movie tells us, she runs. She runs away. And fear causes her to do all these things that are just painful for her. And she makes all these decisions because she's scared. Fear distorts our reality. We don't relate to God as he is. I've talked about this before, but that we can start to treat reality as it's not, forgetting the terms of which reality comes into being, that God holds it together, that God is the reality in which we are living in, whether we acknowledge it by our decisions and by how we respond each and every day. And the same is taken place in Israel's story. So what I want to do right now is give you a little context for what's going on here. How do we receive the book of Joshua? And how does it apply to us? Like, you, you can ask, ask a lot, this sermon. How does this apply to me? How does this relate to what I do from here on out? Because this isn't the first time, as you heard Jesse read, that they've seen this land, the land of Canaan, this promised land I'm referring to. It's not. You can go back in Numbers 13 and 14 where they first come and The first time they came, they they did an investigation, and they see this land is incredible. This land is flowing with milk and honey. It is this incredible land that they wanted to be. But then their investigative group that comes back after seeing the land says, yeah, the land is just as great as it was promised, but we can't do this. The people that live in here are strong. They're far stronger than us. We're no match for this. If we're going to talk about taking over this land, we can't do this. So they almost initiate this conversation with the guys that, you know, God— Um, this land is good. This is probably even better than we thought you had for us, but could you maybe get us a different land that doesn't involve as much fear, (laughs) that doesn't involve as much of a fight, doesn't involve as much of a challenge? And immediately it says something about the lack of faith of the people of God. But it also immediately says something about the kind of blessing that God has for you and me. That God's blessing is far better than what we often think it is. It's far better than this story or script of what I think would be a really good life for me. And it involved for Israel and it involves for us going through tough things. Taking on challenges and battles, having hard conversations. That oftentimes we would prefer to avoid. And if we avoid those things, we will miss out on the full blessing that God has for us. The first few verses are God's charge to Joshua. Verse 1 and 2, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am to give you, to give them to the Israelites. God's saying, Now is the time. What we have in Joshua here is actually a retelling of the story. Way back when in Numbers, when they were basically brought to the land and everything didn't go well, they are forced to live in the wilderness for 40 years. Everyone who didn't want any part of trusting God, trusting that this blessing was for them, that he could actually sustain and give them this land, they're they're taken into the wilderness and none of them will return except for Joshua and Caleb. And I, I... What basically happens in Joshua is this retelling. Let's try this again. Has something changed in the hearts of the people? There are all kinds of little hints, clues, lookbacks throughout the book that we'll kind of highlight as we go. But it is a retelling of Exodus that a new story could be told for the people of God. And we're all, I think we're being invited in a new story here as a church here at Bethel. We're inviting into a new chapter based upon the same visions, based upon the same promise that God is alive and at work in our church. And nothing will hold him back from what he wants to accomplish here. God's promise lives on for Israel, and it lives on for us. And I think the purpose that we see here in Joshua, and I'm going to say a little bit more about context, is that for us to have a home with God, we need to be in a land, quotes, that is completely devoted to him. That is what God is preparing for his people, a land that is totally, completely devoted to them, not a land devoted to destruction not a land devoted to pain, to suffering. So God promised to provide a new land, a new possibility. This is going way back. This land, quotes, is this idea and symbol of the garden. The original gift of God's people was a garden, a beautiful, self-sustaining, thriving garden, Eden. This is the kind of gift that God wants to bring about through new creation, and it's the kind of story he wants to tell in Israel and our story And it is a gift that must be laid hold of by faith. And faith is key. Because the question is, will everyone who followed Joshua into this land make the same mistakes as their parents? Make the same mistakes as their ancestors? Will they kind of step in and all of a sudden just kind of step back, not wanting to take really trust that God has this moment? The other obstacle is the people in the land themselves, not just one people, but many peoples. And so the question is, what's happening with this people? The, you know, this, they were living in this, this land. What, what gives, um, what, why are, why are, are the Israelites stepping into this land and actually taking over it, laying hold of it? And part of it is a bigger conversation that we're not going to have as much in this sermon. But as much as God is bringing Israel to this land of blessing, he's also bringing his judgment upon people who are bringing destruction. That the people in the land practice child sla- slavery, they're deeply corrupt, they're morally compromised people that are bringing agony and pain on themselves and the rest of the world, and God's saying is enough. That's enough. We want, I want no part of this in my creation. Israel, you're my people. I want you to bring an end to this pain and suffering. So as I've said, I want you to ask, how does this relate to me? In case I've already lost you, I'm done with the context part here, but I want to say this. Two things. We live in a land that is devoted to destruction here and today. You don't have to just think of Canada. You can think of all around the world. I was looking at Burkina Faso yesterday where over 130 people were just killed by extremists. And then we prayed about the findings in Kamloops for, you know, in the residential schools because of the 215 children. And the fact is, we look at our world, and it's easy for us to disregard evil because it's very difficult for us to deal with. And we can look at our world, and we can downplay how much everything happening in our world is dehumanizing us. It's making us less human because we're more and more a part of a, you know, a digital world or a digital society, and... Everyone has different agendas. Everyone has their own pride and ego and power at work, and it's not about this garden that God is recreating in our midst. We live in a world that is devoted to destruction, just like the world that Joshua is leading the people into. And the other thing, too, is how we live from here reflects our identity. This land is an analogy for a number of things in Joshua, but it is about identity. And what I lay in front of us is the fact that we are (laughs) welcomed— as children of the promise, people of promise to step into this journey. That is our identity, not something that you fear someone said over you, not a pain that you struggle over years and years and years. That is not who you are. You are someone who has inherited the promises of God, and that means new possibilities are available to you. New freedom is available to you. New healing is available to you. So there are three things in this chapter. I, I sometimes like to think in sections, in sections of Scripture. So this is verses 3 and 4, and then I'm going to reflect on 5 and 6, and then 7 through 9. But there are three things that I think in this passage we must hold on to for this journey. If this journey is set before you and me, it's like God is going to do something in our lives. We, this is what we need to be remember. Otherwise, we're going to be taken back into the land of destruction. We're going to be taken into a different identity. No, these are all things that we don't want to have happen. So the first thing that we need is the certainty of God's promises. We need to be reminded of this. The certainty of God's promises. Here are the next few verses of this section in chapter 1. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country, and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. I know we're all very familiar with um, the ancient Near East and everything. This is the boundary lines. This is the boundary lines of the promised land. He's essentially saying, and it's echoing something that was actually said way back in Genesis 12 to Abraham. Because that's how far back this promise goes. That God promised that this same land with the same boundary markers would be the land of God's people. Way back when God first called Abraham out. And it's a lot of land. It's not a small amount of land, you know, in the, in the context of all the peoples that are living at this time. And note, I want to know, want you to note just some of the language here about the giving and the gift. Note the tense. It says, I'm about to give in verse 2, and in 3 here it says, he will give them. It's as good as done. Only God has the power to really kind of give this kind of gift. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, In the same way the sun never grows weary of shining, nor a stream of flowing, it is God's nature to keep his promises. Let me say that again. In the same way the sun never grows weary of shining, nor a stream of flowing, it is God's nature to keep his promises. These promises are what guide us when we don't exactly know where to go. Like I already said, our future depends on past promises, these kind of promises. And the reason I can make a statement like that is not just because a promise happened, but because of who God is. Trusting God because, because for everything in front of you can be very difficult, <laughs> but we must know the power outworking God. I, I will kind of circle back around to this, but we have to ask the question, what are the things that make us hard to accept these promises for ourselves. Perhaps it is deep pain and deep wounding. Or maybe it's something we just do, we intellectualize. We know it in our head, but we don't know it in our hearts. What does it look like to live a life completely yielded and open to what God has in store for us and trusting that his promises are actually good for us? And if we believe his promises, we can also believe he will fulfill them. Like he says in 2 Corinthians, in Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So that's the first thing, the certainty of God's promises. That's so important. (laughs) The second thing, what we must hold on to is the encouragement of God's presence. The encouragement that's in God's presence. Read verse 5 with me. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. This is the statement that Pastor Tom talked about last week, that I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I will bring into being what I want to be. That God knows the enemies that these people are going to face. He knows them very well. He also knows that he is the only way that they will overcome them. In a lot of ways, he's saying, this isn't going to be easy. That you're going to face things that are beyond your own ability to meet. But God never calls us to anything apart from him. God never calls us to anything apart from him. What he says in these last few verses, you know, we hear this in Scripture in a number of places. Be strong and courageous. It's not a message of self-reliance. You know, it's not just the pull your bootstraps up and actually figure this out. No, it's, it's not a message of self-reliance. But it's a command based on his presence and faith. It's these things that we cannot do apart from him. And when you actually meet these things, you realize how much you need him. You realize how much you actually need to depend on God. When I was a chaplain, one of the things I always heard when I walked into a hospital room was that God, you know, it's a quotation from 1 Corinthians 10, that God never gives you anything beyond what you can bear. God never tempts you with anything beyond what you can bear. And in these rooms where deep pain and suffering is happening, I think God definitely does that sometimes. It feels that way. God definitely does. And God doesn't give anything that you can't bear apart from Him. There are things that if we try to do on our own, if you try to be strong on your own, if you try to be courageous on your own, you'll fail. There will be a breaking point even for the strongest among us. But what He's actually saying is no, this journey is about trusting me, taking hold of the things that are in front of you. And then the strength will come, and then the courage will come. You have to take the steps, not knowing what's going to happen, but then I'll be there. You have to step into the water of the Jordan, and then I will start to yield it. It's about stepping in faith, Spirit stirring strength and courage within us, and then God moves. God gives us the strength we need to continue in the journey. um, If you go back to Mount Sinai, and I don't want to dwell on it too long, but Exodus 33 is about when God is about to send his people away to Mount Sinai on their first journey, first journey to the land. And there's a lot of tenuous here because the covenant almost fell apart already with the golden calf. And then we're now in Exodus 33 where they've done a lot of patching work, healing work, repentance. And God's about to send the people, and and this is what... um, Moses says, "If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people." And the Lord replied, "My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." This is God's words to this people. and then Moses says, "If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here Do not send us, send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us?" What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Just something resonates with me with what Moses is saying there. Do not send us for something that you're not going to go with us. And so this time for Bethel, for us as a church and for your life, I would just say that this is not about us just launching into a journey, not knowing where we're going or not knowing who, who's already with us. We aren't going anywhere apart from God. The work we need to do is about submitting and committing to life with faith, a life together as members of one another in the Holy Spirit. And that's what this time is for. We've had a very disrupted year. Many of us have not been in church together At all, you know this idea of oneness, of fellowship, things we get taste of, like we're experiencing here in this Sunday morning, or things you get a taste of when you're on a walk with someone you haven't seen in a long time. But we actually need to seek the Lord together; that God does bring us together and makes us one. That is what we need, and it is through the encouragement of God's presence, the draw us together, that go before us as we think about plans for the summer. Fun fellowship things, things that we can worship together. These are the things that we need. The third thing that we need to hold on to for this journey is a focus on God's Word. This is the way that God's instruction to to Joshua kind of moves to. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep his book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do what is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And I, I, brought, I started off the service reading from Psalm 1, and I think that really captures this, that those who truly seek after God delight in his word, that the life implanted by that running stream of water, the life implanted is both the way in which we find wisdom and we find joy. And it is not just in this happenstance, reacting, going about our lives, doing what brings pleasure to us. No, it is through a life that meditates and dwells in the Word of God. The, um, Psalm 1 is actually the first chapter of our, of our reading plan that starts today if you want to join. The reading plan that starts today, you can go online and find a way to subscribe for that plan. I think Ed will mention it at the end. But just to subscribe and just commit to a pattern of reading with us together, reflecting on the Psalms this summer, but in all seasons of life, because this is how we know the difference between being people of promise and what is destruction, what brings about evil in where we are. Because a lot of times, evil looks actually quite appealing. It doesn't look distasteful. It actually looks appealing. It draws us in. But the life that is pleasing is committed to the words of God, what he's already said. The last verse in verse 9, which is a verse that I think many of us have heard, it kind of echoes in the brain. It's like, oh, I've heard this in church. I've heard this. But I ask that you hear it anew. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. These three things, which I hope as you walk away, you will walk away knowing these things. This is what Pastor Chris said this morning. This is certainty of God's promises, the encouragement of his presence. And it is the focus in the word that we need for a life of joy and wisdom. Because those things are what we need to cling to as we wrestle with the question, God has never called you to anything apart from him. And So then I put in front of you, what is God calling you to? What is something that you've been putting off or struggling with a call that you need to step into more and more today in this season? Because it's not just about your own life, it's about what we do as a church, what we do together, uniting around God's promises, to hear his calling towards courage and strength and to step into it, knowing full and well that he is the only way that we can see the other side of this. That he is the only way. And this means we must seek after his person of promise. Jesus, when it's transliterated into the Greek, actually, it's transliterated from Joshua. The, The name Jesus is Greek, transliterated. It means God saves us. That Jesus came to save us according to the promises of God. And Jesus, like Joshua, entered a land that was devoted to destruction Jesus, like God, was devoted to a land of destruction. In another garden, Jesus would pray into the pain that was wrecking the whole world and entering his own life. And on the cross, Jesus would give himself up to destruction to save us from being destroyed ourselves, that he gives himself up. Christ secures his blessings for us, this blessing, the the promised blessings. And Ephesians 1 talks about this, that every spiritual blessing is available to us in Christ, that we are included as we've heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, and that when we believe, we're marked by the seal of the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteed for our inheritance. That we have been marked and this blessing is sealed in us. So that now as we've been blessed by faith, we step into the land, not being people of destruction, but being people of peace. We go like Joshua, but we go with Jesus. We go with Jesus, and we go into, as gardeners, we go into this world as gardeners who are actually are trying about bringing about this new creation, about bringing about wholeness in the garden. I'm going to invite the band to stand up, or to come back up, for to help us to respond to this. Um, But one of the things that I know about this journey, because there really is this theme of journey in the book of Joshua, is that it's not a very static journey. And sometimes you might feel this way too. Sometimes you just get stuck. You're kind of stuck in the same rhythms, the same patterns. But what God's actually asking us to do is to step forward, to move, perhaps to do some things that are uncomfortable for us, because God never calls us to anything apart from him. So what are you being called into? What is he asking you to do in this season that's perhaps different than what you've done before? Or maybe you just need to pick up back up what you've done before and trust that God's going to give you the strength to do it. There are two questions that I want to put out and if you can write them down, if you can just seal them in your memory, I want you to ask these for yourself this week. What keeps me from relying on God's promises? What keeps me from relying on God's promises? It could be a lot of things for each one of us. I talked about fear. Is fear something that causes me to not really trust? I trust the fear a whole lot more than I trust the promises. Or is it the fact that I actually am a pretty self-reliant person and that by trusting the promises means that I actually need God to be more than what I'm capable of doing myself? That's the first question. What keeps me from trusting God's promises? And then, like I've already said, what would I do tomorrow if I was certain God was with me? Tomorrow, this week, if you knew God was with you, what would you do? If you knew with absolute certainty that you did not step into it alone, what would you do? Would it be having a hard conversation that you've put off for years? Would it be taking on saying, yes, to I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to step into a new job, a new volunteer opportunity. I'm going to take a leap of faith because I've been burdened in my heart for the longest time. And I know it's not me. I know God's pressed this on me. What would you do if, God, if you knew that God was with you? And what if we all actually responded that way, dealing with what keeps us from God's promises and stepping in with faith that God actually is present with us and will not forsake us, will not leave us. What would you do? Let's pray. Lord, we just want to lift up our hearts to you, Lord. Because there is a lot in the way of us seeking you, of taking a step of faith, and even whatever prevents us from taking hold and accepting, these promises are for me. So, Lord, I just pray that, Lord, you would work in our hearts and reveal the things that obstruct and prevent that from our hearts accepting those things. And that, Lord, you wouldn't just leave us there, but you would take us forward. That this is a life of journey and faith. It's not about staying in one place. It's about moving forward. And I pray that you would give us the strength, that you would give us the courage that you would allow us to really go for it, to really go forward knowing that you have us, you hold us, you're with us. And this charge, it's a charge that was given a long time ago, but it is about a response of faith, about saying that this land is yours, these gifts are yours, these promises are yours, and we will not be the same people, nor do we need to act like we are the same as we were years and years ago. We are different now by your grace. So please, Lord, move, draw us, take us out of where we are, that you would be praised, that you would be glorified, and by your mercy, we would be changed. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.